Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, as we open up these Bibles that we have brought, our hearts, our lives are laid bare and open before you that you might instruct us, remind us. Most of the things we hear, we have heard before. Make them fresh. Make them ours. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to look at the commandment that every parent loves to quote and every child hates to hear. But before we begin, I want to read to you some great truths about life that little children have learned. These are always fun. Number one, no matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. It's a great truth. Number two, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Number three, if your sister hits you, don't hit her back. They always catch the second person. Four, don't ask your three-year-old little brother to hold a tomato. Number five, you can't trust dogs to watch your food. Number six, don't sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. Number seven, never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. Number eight, you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Number nine, don't wear polka dot underwear under white shorts. And number ten, the best place to be when you're sad is grandpa's lap. Great truths from little children. Now, in the fabric of each one of those little funny quips is the understanding of respect and authority and love within the home, that primary unit of the family. Twenty-one years ago, On May 8th, 1986, it was a clarifying moment for me. It was the day my son, Nate, was born over on the west side. And I was so proud. I was so emotional. And I just realized, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm a dad. It was such a new idea and concept. Not only was it a clarifying moment that I was a dad, but it was also this moment in which I realized, though I knew it, but suddenly realized again that not only was I a dad, but I was a son of parents who is now a dad. And I wondered, had I honored my parents like I should? Because now I have this son, and the weight of it all is falling on me. And so the first call that I made was to my parents. I said something like, Thank you for putting up with me my whole life. Thank you for your love and your patience. And by the way, you have a grandson. Now today we study the fifth commandment. It's in verse 12 of Exodus chapter 20. And though it is the fifth commandment, it's the first in the list of what we call horizontal commandments. This marks the beginning of the second half of the ten. God's top ten is divided into two sections, and this commandment marks the first commandment of the second table of the law that deals with human social relations. 
Now, the title of this message I've given, Because I Said So. That's the name of the message. And uh, I, I called it that because that's sort of the trump card that every parent uses when he or she doesn't want to explain all of the ramifications as to why the parent wants the child to do something. You know how it goes. Why should I clean my room? Because I said so. Why should I not eat that bug? Because I said so. Why should I let go of the dog's ears? Because I said so. So there's that understood authority within the home that the parent says so, and the child is to honor that. And yet, we discover here something even more foundational and basic and important than because a parent says so, and that's because God says so. This is one of the commandments. One of the commandments is to honor your father and your mother. By the way, isn't that the ultimate rationale for keeping all of the commandments? Why do we have no other gods before Him? Because He said so. Why do we have no idols when we worship Him? Because He said so. Why do we honor His name? Because He said so. Why do we keep holy the Sabbath for the same reason? Why do we honor our parents? Because the Lord God said so. It's the ultimate reason to keep any of these commandments. Well, this fifth commandment is a commandment that gets tested throughout a parent's lifetime by the children, especially, I would say, in the teenage years when the rebel force enters the home. And the child wants to test the parameters of this commandment. I heard of about a 16-year-old boy who just got his driver's license and he wanted to discuss with dad the use of the family car. And so the dad said, I'll tell you what, you bring your grades up, you start reading the Bible more, and you get your hair cut, and we'll talk about it. About a month went by. Dad approached his son. Son, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. I noticed that you're bringing your grades up. I've also noticed that you're reading the Bible a lot more. But I also noticed you haven't yet cut your hair. And the son looked up from the Bible that he was reading and said, Well, you know, Dad, since I've been reading the Bible, I noticed a couple things. I noticed that Samson had long hair. And Absalom had long hair. And Moses... And it would seem even Jesus had long hair. And dad didn't skip a beat. He said, yep, you're right. And they walked wherever they went. (laughs) So, you see, (laughs) the only difference between walking and driving for that 16-year-old was honoring his father. Well, we're going to look at this commandment, the 12th verse, the 5th commandment. And I'm going to do it in two weeks. Yep, once again, I find myself at a loss of time to really explore all that's here. And because it's such a a basic, foundational truth of life, I want to unpack the meaning of this commandment in two weeks. Discover what does it mean to honor one's mother and father? What does it speak to, to us about generally as well as specifically? What do you do if your parents are deceased? How do you honor parents when there's a divorce? What does it mean to live long in the land? And what about when there's a family blow-up? We want to look at that in the next couple of weeks. But let's go to the 12th verse and just read the commandment. 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That is the commandment, and today we're going to look at this commandment generally and specifically. We want to get a sense of this commandment, what it implies generally. And then we want to scope out this commandment more specifically. Well, what I'd like you to do for a moment is just step back from the singular commandment and consider once again all ten of them. And understand that the Ten Commandments essentially divides all of life into two categories. Uh, call it the vertical and the horizontal. Our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And so the first four commandments represent the vertical plane. The second six, the horizontal plane. The first four, all about my relationship with God. They are theocentric, God-centered. The second six, anthropocentric, man-centered. In other words, here are six ways to get along with people. That's the second table of the law, beginning with this commandment. And the fifth commandment, this one, takes us right into the home itself, the very heart of all relationships, the basic family, parent-child relationship. Question. Why is this first on the list in the second table of the law? First four are out of the way. Now we're dealing on the human horizontal level. Why is honoring parents first on the list? As if to imply it's more important than you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, etc., etc. Well, there's an obvious reason why it's first on the list, and it's because it applies to everyone. Every person has parents or has had them. Not every person is a husband. Not every person is a wife. So the adultery one doesn't apply to everyone. Not, not every person is even a neighbor if they live in a remote place. But this commandment applies to absolutely every human being. Also, the very first people you meet in life are your parents. That's the, the foundation of everything is the Parent-child relationship. First ones you meet. What are the first words a child typically says? It's not bicycle. It's not stock market. It's not dude. It's usually mama or dada. That's the first relationship. If you were to boil all of life down to its irreducible minimum, take away all the fluff, all the veneer, all the stuff, if you boil life down to its core, it could be summed up in one word. Relationships. Relationships. As believers, once again, vertically with God, horizontally with people. All of life can be boiled down to that. That's how Jesus saw life. When he was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? It's interesting that when Jesus answered that, he combined two different verses of Scripture in his answer. One out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and the second, Leviticus 19, 18, and he put them all together. He said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like unto the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Vertically, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Horizontally, love your neighbor as yourself. 
all of life, Jesus boiled down to these two categories. And the first neighbors that you have are your parents. So generally we are understanding from this commandment that relationships are precious and family relationships are most precious. But here's the twist. Here's the irony of it. Though relationships are precious and family relationships most precious, they're also very precarious, shaky. I don't know if you would agree with this, but our greatest failure in life usually is in the area of relationships. If I were to look at Western civilization, Western culture, I don't think that the biggest weakness of our culture is technology. I think we excel at that. I don't think the biggest challenge to our culture is freedom or democracy. It's relationships. Now, I can prove that. Go to any bookstore and say, what's your best-selling books? What are they about? Relationships. Marriage, divorce, parenting. Uh, Talk to people who produce Christian radio broadcasts. What are the hot-button topics? What are the shows, the programs that are listened to most often? Family programming. About marriage and family and parenting, etc. Several years ago, um, I wanted to conduct a little survey of the church to find out what questions people had that they felt they needed answers from the Bible on. So I said, write down your questions, submit them, and we'll categorize them, and over the next several months we'll answer your questions. Well, I wasn't prepared for what I was going to get. I thought I would get, you know, questions about creation and evolution versus eschatology, you know, kind of that whole gamut, and we got a few of those. Overwhelmingly, though, the questions were about, how do I get along with my husband? How do I love that wife of mine? How do I raise those kids? They were almost all about relationships. And I think it was the second week into that series, first or second, where at the beginning of the service, rather than saying, now turn around and greet someone like we typically do, I think I said, turn around and give a hug to the person standing next to you. Well, I got a note that week, an anonymous note in the Agape box, that said, Dear Skip, my husband and did just as you suggested this morning. He hugged the person next to him, me. We sleep in the same bed, but until this morning, we have had no physical contact for three months. That's a weakness at the very fundamental value core, and that is relationships. Well, let's explore that just a bit. Why is this? Why is it the case that relationships that are most precious, especially within the family, are the most precarious? There's a lot of reasons why. I'll give you three. Number one, unrestrained, or you might say unrelenting pressure from our culture. Our culture is not sympathetic with the fifth commandment. Our culture has mounted over the last several decades this unending, unrelenting attack and barrage on the family. Family values are mocked nowadays. Even that catchphrase is. 
Social scientist James Wilson, who was at Harvard and then UCLA, noted, We are witnessing a profound, worldwide, long-term change in the family that is likely to continue for a long time. He had surveyed and studied the values of the culture and the changes in the value system of the culture and noted that over the last several decades there has been a change and we're on a path and it's not soon to end. One educator said, and I quote, to free the child, we must do away with parenthood and marriage. That's got to be the stupidest thing I ever heard. How do you free a child by getting, getting rid of parenthood? How do you get children by parenthood? But he says to free the child, we must do away with parenthood and marriage. We must settle for nothing less than the total elimination of the family. Now what he meant is the traditional family. Our world does not value the fifth commandment. It mocks it. It makes light of it. How many TV shows depict parents as absolute morons that are just too stupid to be cool? A lot of them. Some of you grew up with Ozzie and Harriet. Show of hands. Don't be ashamed. Because your kids didn't. They grew up with Ozzie and Sharon. It's a whole different paradigm. But some of us grew up with Ozzie and Harriet or My Three Sons with Fred McMurray or Leave It to Beaver. In all of those shows, there was an interesting thread. In all of those shows, Dad was the smartest guy in the room. In all of those shows, Mom was the wisest woman around. Boy, have things changed. From Ozzie and Harriet to Beavis and his buddy whom we won't mention, and Ozzie and Sharon, and the Simpsons. You know, you don't get a whole lot of parental respect from looking at Homer and Marge Simpson. Did you know that the Simpsons have dominated television for 18 years now? 18 years. What that means is your kids have witnessed in this funny little quippy cartoon Bart being smarter than his dad their whole lives. There's a conditioning, cumulatively, that happens with all of that. This unrestrained, unrelenting pressure from our culture. There's a second reason that we fail with relationships. And I would say it's untended priorities. Relationships are precious. Family relationships, most precious. But they're precarious because of untended priorities. People just don't make that relationship an important part of their life. They don't nurture. They don't maintain it. You cannot put relationships on autopilot. It doesn't work. There is no such button. Think of it this way. If you're a couple only, you have two relationships. One couple, two relationships. The relationship the husband has with his wife, the relationship the wife has with her husband. It's pretty simple. Add one child to that mix. Now you have six relationships. The relationship he has with his wife and he has with his son, that's two, or daughter. The relationship she as a wife has with her husband and the relationship that she has with her child, that's four relationships. 
And then the relationship the child has with the father and the one the child has with the mother. That's six relationships. Add three children to the mix, you have 12 and so on. It exponentially increases. So that's a lot of gears that need lubrication, need tending, need prioritizing. And if a person just says, well, I have a family, but they'll go and make it on their own, it'll get pretty sticky later on. Here's an analogy. There were two paddle boats that left New Orleans, uh, excuse me, um, uh, on the Mississippi River toward New Orleans, they left together. As they were going on the Mississippi River, they came next to each other, two of these paddle boats, and one of the crew members shouted to the other boat, we're faster than you guys, you guys are slow, and the other crew said, no, we'll beat you there, and so they challenged each other to a race. Well, one of them started falling behind on their way to New Orleans. It's because he didn't have enough fuel. He had enough coal for the trip, but not for the race. So he started throwing the cargo overboard until he discovered, the captain discovered, I can burn the cargo. It burns just as well as the fuel. Well, that boat won the race. It's ironic. Won the race, but burned the cargo. And, by the way, it was a cargo boat. It was meant to take cargo from one place to another place. In this case, from Memphis to New Orleans. Here's my question. How much cargo, precious cargo, are you willing to burn to win a personal race for yourself at the expense of the cargo of relationships in your family? So, unrestrained pressure, untended priorities... And number three, I'll say unsteady parents. Unsteady parents. Now you might be thinking, now wait a minute, Skip. This is a commandment for children, not parents. But every parent begins as a child and grows up and has children and becomes a parent and raises children that will one day become parents. So this is perpetuated cycle. And what adds to the rockiness within a home and the violation of the fifth commandment is in many cases unsteady parents who will not make the right kind of spiritual commitment. Okay, you remember Joshua who stood up before the people of Israel in chapter 24 of that book and he said, Choose this day whom you will serve. Make a choice now. Whether it's going to be the gods that your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He staked his claim spiritually as one who, as a leader of a nation, as a husband to a wife, and as a father to children, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, our children need to see their parents as people who also bow the knee in respect and honor to a heavenly Father. That we let them know, I too have a Father. Whether my father or mother have passed away, I want to honor my Father in heaven. There's a steadiness that happens within the home because of that. Abraham Lincoln said, For a man to train up his child in the way that he should go... He must walk that way himself. 
So it's one thing to say, train up a child in the way that he will go, and when he's old he won't depart from it. But you've got to walk that way yourself if that's going to happen. You know, a hundred years from now, it won't matter what car you drove. It won't matter what house you lived in, what kind of clothes you bought and wore, if you look cool or not. It, it really won't matter in a hundred years. But it will matter what kind of relationship you had with son, daughter, parents, grandparents, grandchildren. All of that will reap consequences in the future. Well, let's go back to this commandment and see the scope of this specifically. Let's read it again. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, the sentence is a commandment. It's in the imperative Uh, The subject is understood, you, anybody who reads it, you, honor, that's the predicate, object, father and mother. Notice it doesn't say, honor your father or your mother. Take a choice, one or the other. But the idea is you honor both of them. There's interaction with two parents that is implied in this commandment. On one hand, you might say this is a strong rebuke to homosexuality. The homosexual community is trying to redefine the whole concept of family through homosexual adoption. But from the beginning, God said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be joined into his wife. The two will become one flesh. So God's design from the beginning was a home with two parents raising children to honor them. Both of them. Now... That means you can't say, well, I'll love my mother, but I will never show any honor to my father. You don't know what he did to me when I grew up. I read, honor your father and your mother. We'll talk a little bit more how to do that next week. But both should be honored. Let me sort of set this foundation. I want to read something to you. I'd like you to listen to it. It's from Armand Nikolai. He was a world-famous Harvard Medical School psychiatrist. Quote, Certain trends prevalent today will incapacitate the family, destroy its integrity, and cause its members to suffer such crippling emotional conflicts that they will become an intolerable burden to society. If any one factor influences the character development and emotional stability of an individual, it's the quality of the relationship he or she experiences as a child with both parents. Conversely, if people suffering from severe non-organic emotional illness have one experience in common, it's the absence of a parent through death, divorce, or some other cause. A parent's inaccessibility, either physically emotionally or both, can profoundly influence a child's emotional health. I remember when I was first saved, I had grown up in a home with a very strict, aloof, authoritarian father figure. We weren't close. He just wouldn't allow it. And I remember when I got saved, there was a sense of self-righteousness that I had. Now I know the truth, and he doesn't. And I felt it gave me the right to preach down to him. 
And I'll never forget the evening the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Go humble yourself before your father and tell him you're sorry for your bad attitude. And I thought, Me? I'm the saved one now. I'm the one who's got it right. He doesn't. And the Lord said, Exactly why you should humble yourself. You now are my child. You are the saved one. I hold you to a higher standard. Go humble yourself before your father and tell him you're sorry for your bad attitude. And that was the start of turning our relationship around, was honoring my father. Even though there were things that I felt he had done that were wrong and reprehensible. So both, from the text, specifically, father and mother should be honored. And both parents should agree on discipline. Again, think of the text, father and mother, father and mother. A father and a mother in a home should agree on the discipline. Otherwise, if your disciplinary tact is different one from the other, all you're doing is raising a manipulator, one who will figure out the system, how to play one parent against the other, and that will transfer into life. And also, both should agree on expectations they have for their child. If the rules in a home are contradictory, the expectations are contradictory, it's going to be impossible for a child to keep this commandment. Not only is there this interaction with two parents, but something else about this commandment. I started snooping around the Bible and discovered that not once is this commandment mentioned, not twice, but a total of eight times Eight times, twice in the Old Testament, and six times in the New Testament is the commandment repeated. Not alluded to, not referenced, not examples of. There's numerous occasions of that, but simply repeated to honor your father and mother. Eight times. Now I'm sharing that simply to say, if God says something once, that ought to be enough. If He says it eight times, we ought to listen carefully. Finally, more specifically, even though the commandment is very plain, anyone who reads this, honor, respect, reverence your father and your mother, did you know that over time, like so many of the other commandments, this commandment got added to, tampered with, and watered down? That's right. People started taking their own traditions and interpretations and raising them above the level of Scripture itself. We have an example of that. I'd like you to turn to it in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, where we'll close this morning. Mark chapter 7. Now in this chapter, Jesus is meeting with the religious elite, the Pharisees. He quotes Isaiah and he says, Isaiah talked about you guys, you're hypocrites. You honor me with your mouths, your hearts are far from me. Verse 9. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift or dedicated to God, 
then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Did you know that in the Mishnah, the oral law that's part of the Talmud that was written down, it says it was a greater offense to say anything contrary to the rabbi's voices than to contradict scripture itself. They started elevating people's traditions, their traditions, over the plain commandment of God to honor their parents. This is what they did. They said, yes, the commandment says honor father and mother. However, if you dedicate everything you have to God, your bank account, your camels, your tent, your chariot, When your parents get older and they need something from you, you can say, well, I'd love to, but I can't because it's all been dedicated to God to be used for spiritual purposes. So their poor parents didn't have the benefit of their children honoring them because they had added to, reinterpreted this command. And we say, well, that's preposterous. That's ridiculous. Yep. But we do the same in our culture. We reinterpret the laws of God. Well, they don't mean that now. We reinterpret the laws of adultery. We reinterpret the laws of murder. We reinterpret the laws of honoring and respect and authority. And we might have excuses. I can't honor my mother and father. They're not even believers. What, that's an excuse? I can't honor my father and mother. You don't know what they did to me. They didn't love me. So I don't need to respect them. So this morning, let's walk away with just a few thoughts, shall we? And the first and foremost is that relationships, the very core, the the very precious core of who we are, getting along with family members, mother, father, child, we were wired for that. The very thing we were wired for, programmed to do, is the very thing that is being challenged. Because our relationships were affected by the fall of man. Remember Adam and Eve, they sinned. There was a strain in their relationship. It passed on to their children. One murdered the other. So, yes, we were wired for nurturing relationships, and yet it's been affected by the fall. Keep that in mind. Number two, it's been attacked by our culture. Progressive postmodernism, scientific naturalism, all of those other isms have attacked the fifth commandment, tried to realter, restructure the meaning of the family. And, sadly, it's been neglected by the church. The church of Jesus Christ, it seems, is all too willing to accommodate to the winds and the value system of this world. So what's my message? Simply this. Fight your culture. Be countercultural. Be a revolutionary in this one. Break the trend. Fight the culture. Break the cycle. Reverse the trend. If you're going to get anything right, get family right. Because all of us are children of parents who are now raising children who will one day be parents. And... You know the biblical truth, whatever a man sows or sows, he will also reap. I want to illustrate that 
not from a Bible verse, but from a song from way back when. I mean, a long time ago, 1974. (laughs) Harry Chapin wrote a famous song called Cats in the Cradle. He said when he sang this song, before he sang it once for one of the first times, he said, this song, frankly, scares me to death because I don't want to do this. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And as he walked away, his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon, When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon, When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle. The kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap I'm not sharing this with you so you feel guilty about what you've done in the past. I believe that whatever point in your life you decide to make things different, to change, that God will honor that. I mean, everything will be perfect, but God will honor that. And nothing gets families together faster and better than the creator of families. And when a mother or father or son or a daughter or a grandpa or a grandchild comes to the Heavenly Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is necessarily changes that will take place. And one of them will be a humility and a desire to love and forgive and honor and respect. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, You are the only perfect parent. We understand that every human being has fallen short of your glory. But Father, I pray that from this auditorium would be men and women 
who would fight their cultural trends, the mores, the patterns, and the values around them. The barrage of assault day in and day out through every corner to try to reinvent, reconstitute the truth of the family. I pray that we as children would say, I'm going to call my parents blessed and honor them and be honest with them and seek forgiveness if need be. I pray that we as parents would humble ourselves and go to our children. I pray that we would get this right, this this area of relationship within the family. Lord, everybody has a free will. We can't alter that. We just pray that you would influence that and cause healing in our precious relationships. Lord, I pray if anyone here does not have a relationship with you as Heavenly Father through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that that would change today. Before they leave home, they get right with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.